This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB Archives. Hello, and welcome to Recall This Book, a, uh, uh, what's a good word for this? An auxiliary episode, mm-hmm. a, a spin-off episode. Um, so I'm here with Elizabeth Ferry and Elizabeth- An appendage. A, an appendage. Oh, an appendix, appendix episode. An I like appendix. that. Okay. So this is the first time, Elizabeth, that you and I have just sat down in a room together to do this episode, which That's is right. the two weird. Of us. Just yes. the two of us. Yeah. Um, so you will co- have come to this because you just listened to the Zadie Smith podcast, um, which is great. And uh, if you haven't, for some reason, if you came to it backwards, go back and listen to Zadie Smith first and this then this will make a lot more sense yes though. this will make much more sense since we're basically right since we're basically <laughs> a series of footnotes maybe that's what we are yeah. um but so i will just say that elizabeth and i spent more time with zadie smith than just is reflected in the podcast because she actually was invited to brandeis to spend a whole day apropos of the all the freshmen reading her book swing time so she came she spoke to us on the podcast. Then she spoke to a whole bunch of faculty who were going to lead discussions about swing time. So that was maybe 45 people. And then she spoke to a, you know, auditorium full of Brandeis undergraduates and some other folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, you know, we spent some time with her kind of in between, but we have like three public events to talk about. So we'll mainly talk about the podcast, but we will feel free to bring in interesting things that she said in uh, any of those events. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of pattern. So yeah, there was a lot of pattern. I don't think it'll make be weird. Totally. I mean, I think yeah. one thing that really struck us, um, Elizabeth, you were saying this earlier. She's just very on point. I mean, what she is thinking about right now, those are the topics she will raise, and she'll kind of run yeah. with them. Yeah. So and they're fascinating and beautifully expressed. So it's not like, you know. One could imagine that being like, oh, could you please right. stop talking about Here that? Go you again. got it. Yeah, right. I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, right. She um, talked about that fear, as you mentioned. She talked about the fear of repeating herself, like that the novelist just does write the same damn thing over and over mm-hmm. again. She said, you know, Nabokov is somebody who does that. And in a way, 
what we heard her do was, you know, run into channels that she's mm-hmm. thinking about. But she thinks about them in really interesting ways. Yeah. And so she was in those same channels yeah. over and over. And, and we so, were delighted. Like, without it being at all, um, you know, pretending that we're friends or anything um, in some sort of um, con- contrived way, um She's extremely available. Yeah. Like the way in which, I mean, it's sort of like when people say that somebody's a good conversationalist. Yes. Right. But in a way, and maybe this will speak to some of our things about authenticity and yeah, performance, yeah. That's but right. in a way that, you know, there's no sort of, it's not like people you meet who are kind of pretending they're your best friend yeah, or something. Yeah, right. I agree um, with that. And yet, you really feel like you're invited into her thinking. Totally. And but, she's and she's listening to you too, right? Yeah. So that is a lovely um, quality. Right. And, but there was not a ton know. of small talk. I mean, in fact, at no. one point she was sitting in the... I'll reveal a secret of the trade, which is that you sit around in this green room in advance waiting to go on in front of the undergraduates. And I was sitting in the green room with her because... I was going to interview her in front of a bunch of undergraduates. And when I walked in, she and the dean were sitting next to each other, and she was just reading Kierkegaard. She just <laughs> felt like reading Kierkegaard, so that's what she's going to do. And then when she came out to the undergraduates, somebody asked a question. She's like, well, you know, Kierkegaard has something to say about <laughs> I that. I was just reading it. Was just like, <laughs> yes. It was really charming. So it's not... Yeah. I, I think you put it really well. I, I mean, if we had to run through her obsessions, one of them would definitely be she has a you know, a familiar but very subtle critique of authenticity. Like, she doesn't believe in, you know, the, you know, kind of the deep core identity that we possess in some profound level. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about Lionel Trilling making the distinction between authenticity and sincerity. And what he meant by sincerity is a form of that, what you called availability. I totally yeah. get it. Like, yeah. you, you're not, you, you know, you, you are performing a little bit because you're among strangers. So there's a way you behave among strangers, but it doesn't, you're not, you're, you're not going to lie to them. You're not going to pretend to an interest you don't feel. But on the other hand, you are going to find what the common ground is that we yeah. could share a conversation about. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And it actually also reminded me of another of her um, ideas that she kept returning to, which was um, the way in which writers are are not like or like other people. Um, and also, by extension, yes. the way in which artists are like and not yes, like other people. totally. Right? So, I mean, even yes. the way, you know, both in the sense that she was talking about how novelists write the same book over and over again. Yep. And then she kept returning to the same ideas over and over again. And also the, I'm reading Kierkegaard and then it's going to kind of naturally flow into my yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though she also had that point about rock and rollers as people who just don't know where to quit. Like there are yes. forms of art <laughs> that are just like bang, bang, bang yeah. going forward. And, right. you know, I kind of wanted to hear what her vision of the art that, tick, you know, that, that tax and takes into account involvement or attunement or something. But because, uh, you know, yeah, maybe you, that you is brought that up actually in yeah. the um, interview, but it was one of the balls that didn't. Yeah, exactly. Work, she she didn't. Normally she didn't happens. Yeah. yeah. So just to just to run through, let's put those big obsessions on the table. So you mentioned one of them is about authenticity, and right. one of them is about the the way that artists are performers, especially novelists are performers. But then we're all performers in our everyday life as well. So that's right. a version of the critique yeah. of authenticity that I think is quite subtle and. Um, distinctive yes and And also the the at one point she says in the interview with you about sort of um i believe that everybody 
that humans are sacred. And so in that yes. sense, I believe in a soul, but yeah. I don't believe there's some core, yes. a soul in the sense of this core you can get down to that never, you know, totally. changes. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course I'm always trying to get people to plug Hannah Arendt and I feel like Zadie Smith did <laughs> do that. Of people but, who have obsessions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in this case she did, she went one better than that because she, she phrased in her own way. And she said, this is in her mind, something that seems to me a very Arendtian problem, which is, you know, that, that figuring out who someone is is not like saying what they are, but it's also not as simple as just like finding that um, inimitable interiority because in fact who they are is mm-hmm. something that goes on in their interaction with others. And I right. got to say, about she didn't talk this much, uh, she didn't talk that much about her own fiction because she clearly doesn't like going back. But but that is what I love about her fiction. Like you mm-hmm. see people coming out in their interaction with others that yes. you don't, you know, that, that they're sides of them are revealed that they don't know. So can I ask you, as someone who's more of an expert on the British novel than me? Yes. um, But can we talk about, can we just name her other obsessions? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Name the obsessions. So I'll name the obsessions. So the other... Okay, but wait. Before we do that, just remind me to ask something about the British novel. Yes. Let's go right back to it. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to name the other obsession. One is what I call the golden ticket, which is the way of thinking about um, access to elite institutions, especially universities, which you talked about a lot, and the not the faux meritocracy, but like the hypocrisy built into uh, mm. a so-called meritocratic system that allowed only a few people to climb out of working-class right. education into the great free British university mm. system. So on the one hand, she was saying... Now that it's gone, let's applaud what that public university system did. And that's why she quoted people like Tony Judd, and she could have mentioned Raymond Williams or yeah. other people like that, yeah. um, Richard Hoggart, you know, for, for the way that it was a class-crossing mechanism. So let's... At least for a few. For a few. But then let's also not right. forget the bogusness yeah. of that, because it yeah. allowed people, and she explicitly included herself, that people who did get that ticket to Cambridge to somehow feel special and not understand that you know, letting in two out of 2,000 was part of the game. And then I guess the final preoccupation that she had that I, that we didn't, she is, she's a very strong conception of what the politics of the novel should be, but they don't necessarily look like what counts as political to the younger generation, which is very woke and focused on certain kinds of cultural Mm -hmm. issues. And in fact, she was a little bit sharp with, the undergraduate questioners who wanted her to sort of talk through identity categories. And so I liked the way in which she didn't want to cede the political ground. Mm -hmm. She wanted to say, no, there's another way to think about politics that doesn't require you to go through identity categories. That's right. So, and she, she actually brought it up in your interview too, when she talked about sort of her affinity with um, Olive Kittredge, right? Olive Kittredge, she absolutely. Said, you know, yeah. I, I have nothing, yes. you know, ostensibly I have nothing in common yeah. with an old white lady from Maine. Yeah. Um, but, Yeah, it broke know, my heart that she wouldn't take the bait on Willa Cather there, by the I way. Know, I know, that was great. I was really, <laughs> yes. I was really bummed. You I wanted her like, to give a PSA for I Willa did. Cather. <laughs> that, was, that was the public service announcement I wanted. Yeah. yeah that's true. Um, yeah. But anyhow, so, and this sort of idea of, um, and she she's kind of interestingly located it in visibility, right? Like it's nothing that you, the yeah. affinity is nothing that you could see necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I, um, but at the same time, clearly having a 
you know, highly sophisticated and um, leftist critique about structure. Yeah. Right? So she's a, she's, um, uh, and she, that came out in her discussion of education. It came out in her discussion of, there was a really interesting moment in, with the faculty when somebody said, um, in talking about swing time, you know, we've all had that experience of somebody that you grow up with who, who just, you know, things don't turn out well. Yeah. And, um, and Smith said, well, you know, I mean, for a lot of black people, it is, you know, that's like a whole neighborhood or a whole country, right? Right. It's not just one person. Right. Um, and I thought that was a really, um, uh, you know, a really strong basis from which to make politics. Right. I totally agree. And yeah. just to say more about that, I thought she is, she's disavowing, and especially towards the undergraduates, she disavowed in quite straightforward terms the notion that you would have an automatic affinity or identity with people. But she also, you know, definitely was not at all shy about referring to herself as a black writer or talking about, like, the yeah. experience of being a black Briton. And, like, I've read articles where she talks about, like, you know, the way in which if there's a, a kind of a vulnerability or a wound in the society in Britain, it's like young black men that are going to bear the brunt of it. So it's not right. like she denies that those things, especially on right. a statistical Or that there are commonalities, are right? Yeah, you know? right. That's um, true. And that those commonalities have right. specific historical yeah. reasons. And in a way, to go back to the golden ticket point, she said something really that I found incredibly poignant, which is she talked about getting to Cambridge. And okay, so I already mentioned, you know, she's a sort of two in 2000 figure leaving her own school and getting to Cambridge and then discovering that there are these schools where like three out of four people are going to end up at Oxford and Cambridge. And she talked about how hard it is to fall out of the upper middle class, which by the way, I think about all the time with people like Boris Johnson. Like there's certain people who are just born with the assurance that whatever they do, they're going to be cushioned. And most of the Tory party are like that, but boy, does Boris Johnson have it in spades. I was listening to the coverage of uh, Woodstock because it was the 50th Uh anniversary of Woodstock. And it was like, they didn't have a permit until like a month beforehand. Yeah. And then they didn't build a fence because they could only, they only attempt to build either a stage or a fence. Uh huh. And then they ran out of food. So the army brought them food. Uh huh. And then, you know, yeah. all of these things happen. And it's yes. like, Jesus Christ, yeah. like white privilege right. is like, like yeah. we're just completely, you know, yeah. flame out. And yet somehow this will become this iconic historical event that yeah, everybody yeah, totally. remembers us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's okay if you don't provide for any food because yeah. the army will come yeah. and give you food. Yeah. And by the way, I for me, I totally, for people who haven't read Doris Lessing's The Fifth Child, I completely commend what she said about Doris Lessing about how The Fifth Child works as a great way of thinking about that because that is one of those perfect privileged childhoods that's being described and this is perfect shiny happy couple and then what it takes to destroy it is like a fifth child who's like literally satanic like that (laughs) that can break the family but basically nothing else could and you know elizabeth you and i i mean we don't need to get totally self-referential but we're both children of academics and we grew up in a situation where you know my kids go to the same school that you went Mm -hmm, to and mm -hmm. there's an understanding that we're you know we're part of that world where yeah, there's not, it's not like you can't fall and through. and easy and yeah, yeah. yeah. There's just not that many holes in that floor. Yeah. And Zadie Smith's point was like, well, one of the reasons there's not that many holes in that floor is that there's not that many holes in the ceiling for where right. I came from. That's, yeah, yeah. really so, well put. 
What I was going to ask you was about was what we said a few minutes ago about um, these sort of two ways of being, like the rock star charge forward. Yes. I'm constantly self-actualized. Yes. And which then, is also President Trump in her account. Which like is also people President who would just Trump think being account. my best self is somehow an achievement. Right, right. Yeah. And and means not just an achievement, but like a full realization of the self. Totally, like right. That's that's how the self right. should be. Yeah. And then there's the other mode, which is this kind of relational, um, uh, the self emerges through... And you, yes. um, through interaction. And yeah. you, involvement you... was the word I tried to throw out to her that she didn't really right, bite, right. bite um, exactly, but yeah. No, but, but you just were saying that, you know, and I agree that that comes out really clearly in her prose, right? That there's this sort of way in which her characters are kind of, um, constantly emergent through their relationships. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then what I wanted to ask you was, can you give a little genealogy of the British novel that is playing? Oh yeah. This? Okay. So that's yeah. really interesting. So I. So in order, yes, I can. But I would say two things about that. One is, Zadie Smith, like a lot of British novelists, spends a lot of time actually um, praising the experimental European tradition. So mm-hmm. she talks about Kierkegaard a lot. She actually mm-hmm. didn't talk about Russian novels she a lot. Kind of dissed the French, but, though. Yeah. She <laughs> in front of the undergraduates, she threw the French under the bus for not being funny. Yeah. She said the English are funny, and I thought that was revealing because I actually do think that the sense of humor in Zadie Smith is connected to Jane Austen. And it's connected to Muriel Spark, Uh who she praised. She praised Girl of Slender Means, which Steve McCauley and I talked about on the podcast (laughs) because Muriel Spark is totally brilliant mid-century comic novelist. So there's a tradition of kind Uh of like humanistic warmth where basically you see characters in their foibles, but you nonetheless like embrace them in that. I think right. she belongs to that. But I think she wants to locate herself. And Forrester definitely belongs to that. And Forrester to totally belongs to that. Yeah. Right. Actually, I think Zadie Smith is a lot funnier than Forrester. Yeah. Forrester tries to be funny. He does not succeed the way Zadie Smith succeeds. I think right. she's she's left her left her uh whatever. I was gonna right. say master, but that's not the right word. She's yeah. left her old instructor behind in that regard. Yes. But, um, and Virginia Woolf is really not funny at all. No. Um, I'm going to get hate mail for that. But yeah. I guess. Lucky Jim. It's a different I kind guess. of funny. That's minor. Yeah. It's so fucking funny. Though. It is. But it's a different kind of funny, too. It's not like sort of the foibles. Oh, Actually, yeah. Trollope is Well, Trollope like is, but, but I was going to yeah. say the other person she mentions, which I think is completely fair, is she... She she raved about Hilary Mantel, and that's when she yeah. mentioned Muriel Spark. And the point there would be that Hilary Mantel is someone who, you know, even before she was required to write a historical novel in order to become famous, she nonetheless was able to, you know, see characters in a yeah. sort of funny right. sideways way. I would I actually would put um, Penelope Fitzgerald in that mm. category too. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say is that Zadie Smith definitely wants to link herself more to a European experimental novel tradition, which would mm-hmm. be like the Nouveau Roman, people like Rob Grier. Mm-hmm. Um, she mentioned this book, uh, now I'm forgetting the name, was it called The, the Bathroom? The Bathroom? Yeah. yeah, which I don't know at all, but it's clearly an experimental Belgian novel. And in her famous Two Paths for the Novel, she, you know, basically says lyric realism is really boring and stodgy and the experimental novel is this like richer know, way to go. Odd, it, it, I agree. So I think it's odd and I mean I'm glad Zadie Smith is not here and 
maybe she won't even listen to this because <laughs> I think it's odd. I think it's it's not bad well, faith, but I think she's trying to describe she something that she much isn't. More like That's exactly. The, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So she belongs to this. Like she throws uh, Joseph O'Neill's Netherland under the bus in that essay. But honestly, that novel is not so far from the world of the how Zadie Smith realizes her characters and puts them into play with one another. Yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting. So I mm-hmm. think I, I think there's a there's like a nominal genealogy for Zadie Smith, which is real because it's the people you think about when you're writing. But right. then there's a kind of shadow genealogy, which you can tell includes Wolf and Foster. I think the reason that the E.M. Forster and Virginia Woolf comparison continues to be made and it resonates is actually that they are very unusual in the English novel tradition in being great essayists as well. Mm. Like Forster, like I mentioned the book on the novel, but he has a bunch of other essays right. as well. Virginia Woolf has a famous book of essays called The Common Reader. Mm-hmm. You know, you could think about The Room of One's Own is essentially an argued essay. Right. And, and, and she was very aware, like when she answered my first question about not going back to her own and novels. And Moments of Being. Oh, yeah, and Moments of Being, right, which we've yeah. discussed already yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. It is an echo chamber. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, but you know, Zadie Smith herself made the point that she can go back to her f- essays because they're argumentative. So she makes right. a distinction so in her mind. Yeah. and that, Which I completely get. I yeah. mean, as somebody who is only capable of writing the argumentative stuff right. and not the fictional stuff, um, I like that a novelist also thinks of those two things as two different, yes. you know, two different Well, realms. and a novel that tries to make an argument in that kind of way is usually not a very good Actually, novel. and I think that comes back to something, Elizabeth, you said before, but let's, like, unpack it a bit more, which mm-hmm. is that so Zadie Smith is acute in that she sees what is the problems that people have, but to say that she's generous also means that she is... Um, she will never cancel anyone. So, mm-hmm. like, do you want to talk about that response to uh, a student? Well, I mean, it just, it had to do with this uh, this character, Amy, who's in Swing Time. And, yeah. She's um, Madonna, isn't she? Or, yeah. I yeah, thought, okay. Yeah. She's Madonna. Yeah. So, um, you know, global do-gooder, doesn't really think too much about what she's doing when she's doing good. But, and, and sort of constantly having a circle around her who are sort of her friends yes. and whose job it is to be her friends and yes. to cater to her. Yes, paid friends. Yes. yes. Poorly um, paid friends. Yeah. Right. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of buffoonish. Uh, it's kind of caricatured, caricatured, not in a bad way. I think it's it's good. But um, some an undergraduate asked a question about it and she sort of, uh, Zadie Smith kind of asserted her philosophy towards... For kind of humanism, yeah, um, and... fictional humanism, by the way, but yeah, yeah, because she was interested in them. She said fiction is the way to do. Well, go right. ahead and say the humanism, but yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't get the sense. I mean, that seemed to be a point when she was actually crossing over from oh, fiction. Oh, I see. To... She was not just talking about characters. She wasn't just she was talking, talking about, about characters, too. right? Yeah, um, and she sort of, you know, said, "I, I'm not one of these people who, who can be like, I, I just can't with someone." Yeah, yeah, yeah. She waved right, right. her hand. I, just can't in with a, I can't with right. Yeah, yeah. she was. A, she's a um, very good mimic, actually. Yeah, yeah. she's quite a good yeah. performer. Um, and uh, she, you know, and there was a little bit of a generational thing in there too. Like it was definitely like um, uh, speaking to a, bo- a group of college students and finding some opportunities to um, 
a sort of particular point of view about, you know, contemporary social life. Yeah. So Elizabeth, final question, like, what did we, you know, like, what did we do wrong? What should we have asked her? Should we have pressed her? Is there something we should have pressed her on more? Other than making her read Will I wanted to hear more about, and I don't think we should have pressed her necessarily because it was, you know, getting into the weeds and various, especially in front of the, either in the faculty or the uh, undergraduate part. But I would have liked to hear more about novels and specificities of novels and stuff. And I I I agree. She was terrific on Hilary Mantel. She was terrific on Miro Spark. And I just like her forthrightness about like what she likes and doesn't like and what she and why and sort of these, even though I didn't either, maybe I didn't agree or I just didn't understand some of the genealogies that she was um, tracing. um, I just really enjoyed hearing that. And I actually wanted to bring in what I did have a conversation with her about um, the way. um, So uh, John and I teach a class from time to time of novels and ethnographies. Mm. Um, And I was telling her about that. And we were sort of talking a little bit about novels and why novels are different from ethnographies and stuff. And, um, you know, I think that sort of leads into a conversation about more about what the novel can do. And actually, I was just going to say that just to circle back around to what we were saying about Jane Austen and her um, kind of everything working out and being very systematic. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because that is characteristic of a certain kind of ethnography. Um, yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. you know, particularly within a kind of structuralist tradition. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Whereas somebody like uh, George Eliot with Middlemarch is much yeah. more of a sort of Malinowskian kind of, yeah. you know... Teaching it next week. Very excited. Uh, yeah. Good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that would be interesting to talk yeah. more about. And, and actually, there is there is a thread I should have picked up on more, except I was afraid of sounding too much like an English professor, but she mentioned Philip Roth several times. And yeah, that's I a yeah. really interesting comparison because she didn't... Yeah. She clearly does identify with American fiction in ways that we could have teased out more. Mm. And the Roth comparison, because talk about someone who writes about twins. I mean, yeah. he has the double life, the counterpart, the mm-hmm. ghost, exit ghost. Like, so many of his novels are structured on the parallel lives that either get involved or are mirrors of one another. Right. And I think that's what she likes about him. I mean, I do think right, that's right. the affinity. And on that note? Okay, on that note. So I will just say um, thank you for listening to this episode of Recall This Book. As always, our music is uh, courtesy of Eric Cheslow and Barbara Cassidy. Uh, we are grateful to Claire Ogden and Matthew Schratz for all of their editorial and technical and other production assistance. And please, please, please tell your friends about this. Tell your relatives about this. Tell people you don't like about it. Um, and uh, rate us or give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We just, we get no money. We... Uh, just want to get the word out and um so the best way for that to to happen is by word of mouth so from all of us here elizabeth you and me in a room together that's um, right yeah uh, i feel if we were zadie smith we would sing but i guess we can't sing but we'll say (laughs) so long farewell (laughs) okay and thanks good night